Coming off Thanksgiving, we have, we have the greatest reason in the world to be thankful. We have Christ, the promises of the gospel. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. That's, we're going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse, section by section. And the message of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Jesus is better than all else. Nothing and no one else saves or sanctifies or satisfies. All of history and all of God's word point us to Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus. There's no greater, there's no greater height to reach, no deeper theology, no more spiritual life, no greater level to achieve with God than being in Christ. So when a person's born again by God's Spirit, united with Christ, His righteousness is ours. Our debt of sin is paid at the cross. There's nothing more worthy of our thanksgiving. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, we're told in chapter 1, verse 1. He upholds the universe by the power of His Word. But we've also seen that we still live in a fallen world. Still live in fallen flesh. Still endure the sufferings of this life. And the Hebrew Christians to whom this book was written, they were being persecuted. They were, they were outcasts because of their faith. Their family and friends, their Jewish kinsmen, were marginalizing them. They were outcasts from them. By this time, Rome was persecuting Christians as well. They were enduring hardships and trials day after day, year after year. They were facing a bleak future with no hope of it ever getting better. But they could end their suffering. They could end their persecution. All they had to do was go back to Judaism. Go back to the religion they've always known that they were raised in. Go back to the synagogue, back to the temple, back to the priests. Go back to trusting in the law of Moses. If they did, their suffering would end immediately. They would be reconciled with their family and their kinsmen. Judaism was a legal religion in the Roman Empire. They would no longer be persecuted. Their suffering would disappear and life would be better. The message of Hebrews is Jesus is better than all of that. It's not worth turning away from Him, even for what you might think would be a better life in this world. There's salvation in no other name. Jesus is what the whole Old Covenant pointed to. Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Covenant elements, promises. There's nothing to go back to. That's the message for these Hebrew Christians. You can't serve God by returning to the old rituals, the old covenant, the old ways, the old laws. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. There are several of these warnings, five to be precise, in the book of Hebrews. Don't turn away from Him. Don't harden your heart. Hold fast to your confession in Christ. Now that's easy to say. Nobody said amen when I said all that, but I'm assuming that you did, and I'm going to pretend that you did. We can all say amen that Jesus is the way, that he's better than all those things, and he's better than everything in this life. We can all agree with that. But the question is, how do you do it? How do you live it out? How do you face suffering and persecution and all of the things of this life day in, day out, and still remain steadfast in your hope in the gospel? Many times we feel, and I'm sure these Hebrew Christians to whom this book is written felt 
You know, all this suffering, all this persecution, all this trial, all these hardships, just because I profess the name of Jesus, they're wearing me down. I, I can't stand much more of this. I mean, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the way. And I believe that he's better than all these things. But how do I get my heart to trust what my head knows is true? The answer today is going to be found in our text, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's read that together. It says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. That's the point of this section. How? How do we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope? And to show us this, he, he compares and contrasts Jesus with Moses, perhaps the greatest figure in, in the Hebrew Old Testament. And the first thing that he shows us in this text, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, is that if we're going to endure, we have to remember our identity in Christ. Now, in this verse, he doesn't specifically call the Hebrews to remember their identity. He just says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle, the high priest of our confession. He doesn't, he doesn't specifically say, okay, you guys need to remember your identity in Christ. The reason I think that this is the author's intent is because this verse, verse 1 of chapter 3, is the conclusion, the application of the long argument that we went through last week in, in chapter 2. You remember that? Just pretend like you do. We looked at all that last week. We said, he showed that we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. And what's he doing? He's bringing many sons to glory through the suffering of Jesus. Last week in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, we saw, For it was fitting that he, God the Father, for whom all for whom all, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's the purpose, should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, the one who is making holy, and those who are sanctified, the ones who are made holy, all have one source. They're all of one. And that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. You remember we talked about all of those things last week? He goes on in chapter 2 to say the son had to be made like human beings in every way to propitiate our sins. We talked about that last week. Through suffering, he, he's bringing many sons to glory. This is how he does it. 
And after all of that, he says, therefore, because of all of that, because he's bringing many sons to glory and he did this through suffering and he had to be made like his brothers and he's not ashamed to call you brothers. He takes all of that in chapter two and he applies it to the believers that he's writing to when he says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Holy brothers, you're holy because he sanctified you. He set you apart. The one who's sanctified and the one who's being sanctified. That's us. We're being sanctified. Holy in Christ. Brothers, he calls them. We might say brothers and sisters. He was made like you, a human being, so that he is not ashamed to call you brothers. If you're his brothers and sisters, then you're brothers and sisters with one another. So he addresses these readers by pointing to all the things that he said in chapter 2. All of these things are true. Therefore, you are holy brothers and you share in this heavenly calling. What is the, what is the heavenly calling? It's a reference to what he said in chapter 2. He's bringing many sons to glory. Jesus, the founder of our salvation, is bringing many sons to glory where he is seated in glory and honor at the right hand of the Father. Y'all tracking with me? Okay, close enough. That's where we're headed. He's bringing us to glory. So what he said in chapter 2. That's where he's calling us to be where he's at. Our hope is not here. We have a heavenly calling. And we're following his calling to glory. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 said, Jesus shared in flesh and blood. And because he shared in flesh and blood, we become sharers in his heavenly calling. First thing we need, we have to have to be faithful through the sufferings and the trials and the things of this world is to remember who you are in Christ. You have all things in the gospel. Holy and righteous in Christ, united with Christ. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. You have a Father who cares for you. A Spirit who indwells you, is with you in all things, leading and guiding you. You know for a fact that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You know that even in the trials and the sufferings of this life. God has a purpose. You can't recite all of those promises about who Christ is and who Christ has made you, what you've received, how the Father sees you, the family to whom you now belong, and not be encouraged to be faithful through all of the things of this life. When you remember your identity in Christ, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, you can hold firm in your hope through the trials because what He has given you what you have received by grace through faith in Christ is better than a life without trials and sufferings. If you remember who he has made you, you'll understand that trials and sufferings don't define who you are. A life without worldly suffering is not better than who Jesus has made you. So the writer of Hebrews is saying to them again, don't turn away from Christ, he's better. To remain faithful, even through trials and the persecutions that were, they were enduring. Remember who you are in Christ. And when you do that, you can't help but remember to think on, to consider Jesus. To fix your heart on Christ. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heaven, heavenly calling, addressing them this. And then he gives them the command. Consider Jesus. 
the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. The word consider means to give attention to, to fix your thoughts upon, to focus upon, to think carefully about Jesus. The command here is to focus yourself on who he is. To remember who he is, to think on who he is, to weigh his excellency and his nature and his authority, to worship Jesus as he deserves, to focus your heart and your mind and your soul on the glory of the risen king, to pay closer attention to what you heard, lest you let it slip, as we're told here in the next section of this chapter. And what the author of Hebrews is commanding us to do, commanding them to do here, is what he himself has been doing for two chapters. From chapter 1, verse 1, he has held Jesus before our eyes. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. The eternal God who is greater than the angels became man to bring us to glory. Hebrews it hasn't just called these readers to be faithful. The book has called us to be faithful by showing us Jesus. Now, he tells, at this point, he's telling the readers why he spent so much time describing and explaining Jesus. This is how you do it. This is how you remain faithful. This is how you endure. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Consider Jesus. To consider something in this context requires time and effort. It's not the way we think of just considering, hmm, I'm thinking about a cheeseburger for lunch or maybe, no, no. He's, he's telling them to focus upon it, to turn your eyes toward it, to ponder it, to, to, to think on Jesus, fix your heart upon him. It doesn't happen automatically. It requires that we stop and focus ourselves on him. He's telling the Hebrews to turn their eyes away from their trials, away from their sufferings, away from their persecutions, away from whatever it is they desire in this life and turn your eyes upon Jesus to revel in who he is. Immerse your soul with who he is. Saturate yourself with with. His glory and His word and what the Bible says about Jesus. Rest in His presence and His power. It's the only way that we can endure the trials and be faithful to Christ in this life. Because wherever we fix our eyes, that's the direction that we're going to go. When you're riding a motorcycle, you need to glance around. You need to watch for obstacles. You need to watch for hazards. You need somebody's going to pull out in front of you. It's going to happen. You need to pay attention. But where you fix your gaze, where you fix your eyes, that's where you're going to go. If you're looking off into the ditch, you're going to end up in it. You must fix your eyes down the road, at the horizon, where you're headed. You can't gaze down at the road before you. You're going to run into something. You can't gaze too long at the scenery. Many wrecks have happened because motorcyclists are captivated by the beautiful scenery they're driving through. You know, they're staring out into a field or staring at this beautiful mountain and smash right into something. You have to look where you're headed, not what you're passing by. I almost died right out here on Rock Road one time. 
uh, it was a couple years ago, right? I mean, right here in Mulvane, right on Rock Road. Um, back when I had the, the Indian, the little Indian scout, I zoom all over the place and I was headed north on Rock and there was another car coming south in, in the other lane and the sunlight glinted off the grill of this car in some weird way and it made this weird flash of colors. It looked like this purple and green strobe was going on on the front grill of this car and it caught my attention and I thought, wow, look at that. That is neat. I thought they had lights in the grill or something like that. I was like, man, I don't know how long I, I was pondering on these wonderful, beautiful little light things that happened right here. It just felt like a few seconds, but when I looked up, there's a FedEx truck stopped in front of me. I slammed on the brakes and slid, and I, I ended up having to pull hard to the left just to miss. I missed it by, I mean, two or three inches, and Jesus would have been bringing me to glory. The point is... It matters where you fix your eyes. It matters what you, what you fix your eyes upon, what you gaze upon. When Peter walked out on the water during the storm, he didn't start to sink until he took his eyes off Jesus. The author is telling us, telling them, think about Jesus. Go back and consider Jesus. Ponder on who he is. Revel in who he is. Who the word says that he is. Think about what he's done for you. Think about what he's accomplished. Think about what you have in him. Think about his glory and power. Make that your focus. Draw your strength from him as you're filled in his presence. The Christian life can only be lived depending on the power of Christ. He said, you can do nothing without me in John 15. We can't persevere through trial without depending upon his power. We don't have the power to do it. We don't have the power to remain faithful. So fix your eyes on Christ. The Lord is our banner. Rally your heart to that banner as the shrapnel of this life falls all around you. He says, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Calling Jesus an apostle might seem strange to us, but the word just means one who is sent. This is the only place in, uh, in the Bible where the word apostle is used for Jesus. But in the Gospels, Jesus repeatedly describes himself as being the one sent from the Father. Jesus was sent to give us the message of salvation and to be our salvation. He also says, consider him the high priest of our confession. We talked a lot about the high priest last week. The high priest represented the people before God. He made sacrifice for the people before God. He is our mediator. That's what he's saying. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who was sent from God to you and for you, and the one who represents you before the Father. And then to drive this point home, he begins in verse 2 to compare and contrast Jesus and Moses. He says, Jesus was faithful. He said, Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Now that really seems strange to modern readers, to us. Because not many of us today are tempted to turn away from Jesus to embrace Moses or to embrace the Old Testament law. But that's exactly what was happening then. Moses is revered as the greatest of all Hebrews, and rightly so. 
Moses is the greatest man in the Old Testament and revered in the New Testament as well. Mentioned 80 something times in the New Testament. We often underestimate how important Moses is in the purposes of God. Moses was the mediator between God and Israel. He was a prophet who spoke with God face to face. Moses was chosen by God from birth. God used Moses to write the foundational document of his people, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. No greater name in Israel than Moses. So the writer of Hebrews compares Jesus and Moses saying, both of these figures were faithful. He says they were faithful. Jesus is faithful just to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. When he says faithful in all God's house, that rings a bell for a Hebrew steeped in the Old Testament because it's a quote. It's a quote from Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, which was spoken by God. In Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron, that's where they challenged Moses' leadership. And God says this, and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in, in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. Here's the quote. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Then he asks Miriam and Aaron, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Oh, there's no doubt Moses enjoyed a special place in God's plan and God's presence. There's no other prophet or priest like him. So the writer of Hebrews says, consider Jesus for he is faithful in his role just as Moses was faithful in his role. But though both of these figures were faithful, there is a huge difference between them. By nature, Jesus is superior to Moses because of who he is. He compared them in verse 2, and now he contrasts him in much of the rest of this text. He says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful, look at it, in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. The central point here, really, without going into too much detail, is that Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses because Moses is part of the house. Moses is a servant in the house. Jesus is the builder of the house. He is the owner of the house. He is the ruler of the house. When we hear the word house, and he uses it seven times in these six verses, what we usually think of is, you know, a building, brick and wood, maybe the temple, maybe the tabernacle. But here it's used in terms of household, like family, like the house of David, the house of Samuel, the house of Israel. We know this because in the last part of verse 6, he says, we are his house. He's talking about God's people, the family of God, those who Jesus is not ashamed to call brothers and sisters. The house Jesus builds and creates is his people. Moses serves God's people and is himself part of God's people. Moses is part of the house that Jesus built. So as great as Moses is, and he is great, the writer doesn't diminish Moses at all. He is a servant in the house that Jesus built. 
The writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is the founder of Moses' salvation. Jesus is the creator of Moses. That's why he's worthy of more glory. Because he is God. That's made explicit for us in verse 4. In this little parenthetical section. He's worthy just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Then he says, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Somebody might say, well, hold on. Moses did build a house. Abraham did build a house. David did build up their house. There might have been many builders of all kinds of houses, but behind them all, the true builder is God. He's saying Jesus Christ is God. Jesus created all those men. He created Moses and Abraham and David. Their minds, their bodies, their abilities, Jesus gave that to them. Jesus gave Moses the power to be faithful and to serve in the house of God that Jesus built. His point is that Jesus is worthy. He is worthy for you to fix your hearts on. He's worthy of your faith and your trust because he is God, the creator of all and builder of the people of God. But there's more. Much more glory is owed to him because he is also the heir, the son over the house. It belongs to him. The people of God belong to him. Verse 5, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses because though Moses was a faithful servant in the house, Jesus is a faithful son over the house. The difference between a servant and a son is that the son, the heir, he owns the house. The people of God belong to Jesus. Servants don't own the house. They follow the command of the owner. They receive their provision from the owner. The owner of the house provides for all of the servants who serve in the house. No doubt, Moses' service blessed the house of God. He was faithful in the house of God, in the people of God. But the house belongs to the Son, and it was made to the Son. Moses, the deliverer, the lawgiver, the prophet, the priest, the mediator, is Jesus' servant. And the law of Moses is Jesus' law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the true teacher of the law. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he repeatedly said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look with lust, you've already committed adultery. He was explaining the law. So the life and the work of Moses, even the law of Moses, points to Jesus. Moses and the whole Old Covenant always pointed to the coming of Christ. The New Covenant is not God's plan B. You know, that first deal didn't work out so well, so let's come up with a new plan. Moses foretold and looked forward to Jesus. Those who pit Moses against Jesus don't understand that Moses is on Jesus' team. Verse 5, you see that little phrase at the end? He was faithful in all God's house as a servant. And what was he faithful to do? To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Moses testified to the things of Jesus. Jesus himself told us this in the Gospels. 
In John chapter 5, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, for if you believe Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote of me. On the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, Jesus appeared to them. And when he revealed himself, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the things in the law of Moses pointed to Jesus. The tabernacle, the sacrifices, the washings, the priests, all of it. In fact, Moses explicitly commanded Israel to follow Jesus. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, before he died, Moses says this, The Lord will, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Later in that same text, he says, Anyone who doesn't listen to this prophet be cut off from among his people. The writer of Hebrews is saying, What I'm telling you to do, consider Jesus. What I'm telling you to do, don't turn from Jesus. Hold fast to the confession of your faith. That's the same thing Moses told you to do. To listen to this one who was to be sent. Jesus is the prophet that Moses referred to. In this passage of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the writer is showing that Jesus is better than Moses. He is superior to Moses. And he does this to show us why we must consider Jesus. Fix our hearts on Jesus. Turn our minds to Jesus. Dwell upon Him. None of us today, I would hope, but, but none of us today are tempted to turn to Moses. But we are tempted to turn to other things, even godly things, to find our hope. The law of God is good. The law of God is holy. But you can't put your trust in it for salvation because you haven't kept it. You can't keep it. The law of God is good and holy, but you can't find the power to be faithful in it. All it can do is show you your sin. We're always tempted to go somewhere other than Christ to find our hope, to find our joy, to find our comfort, to find our righteousness before God. How do we fight this temptation? He gives us the answer. Consider Jesus. Fix your gaze upon him. Dwell upon his nature, his person, especially when trials and temptations and persecutions and those things are going on in your life. And when you do that, you will be able to hold fast to your hope in Christ. The last part of verse 6 says, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We are his house. That's us. Believers in Jesus. There's only one house of God, whether Jew or Gentile. Only one house in which God himself dwells, his people who are born again in Christ. But once again, we come to one of those warning passages in Hebrews, don't we? We are his house if we hold fast. And again, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told you the last time. There is no contradiction between the doctrine of eternal security in Jesus and the fact that all those who are truly saved and transformed by the Spirit will persevere in faith until they go to be with the Lord. Those two truths are two sides of the same coin. You see these two truths presented together repeatedly in Hebrews, also in 1 John, also in Romans, also in James. Continuing in the faith, holding fast to our confession is the evidence that we've been born again. Once again... Notice the, I'm not going to give you just a, a big grammar lesson, but notice the tense of the verb. Well, I guess I am going to give you a grammar lesson. It doesn't say 
we will be his house if we hold fast. He says you are right now, in this present moment, you are his house. And the proof that you are right now, in this moment, his house, is what happens in the future. If you hold fast to your confession. If you hold fast in the future... That means you are right now. Not means you're, now it doesn't mean you're earning it then or you will be then once you, once you fulfill all what you need to fulfill. It says you are right now if you hold fast. Holding fast doesn't make you part of his house. It shows you already are right now part of his house. And what you're holding to here in this verse is your confidence in your hope. You're not holding fast to what you're doing like it's good works or outward acts, those flow from who you are. You're holding to your hope in Jesus. Holding to your hope, to your confidence, to your boasting in that hope is simply just continuing to trust in Jesus. The if here in this verse is not here to unsettle you. It's not here to damage your assurance. It's there to make sure that we're actually putting our hope in Jesus rather than some past experience that we had. Many people presume that they're saved because, you know, one time when I was eight years old, I prayed this prayer and I walked down this aisle. But today, they're not walking with the Lord, no fruit of the Spirit, no desire to obey Christ, no new heart that hates sin and loves Christ. That's not a person who's trusting in Jesus. That's someone that trusted in what they did back then. The evidence that you've been justified, that you are his house, is that you hold fast your confidence and your boasting in your hope. That's why considering Jesus, fixing your hope on Jesus, enables you to hold fast to the confidence and the hope firm to the end. Fix your eyes upon him. Live with his glory and majesty ever before you. Never get used to it. Never take it for granted. It's not old news. The gospel is not some basic doctrine you learn way back when, and now you need to get deeper into the meat of Scripture. No, there's nothing more meatier than the gospel of Jesus Christ and who He has made us by His death, His burial, His resurrection. We spent a lot of time, and we're going to continue to spend a lot of time in Hebrews saying Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. We're going to see he's better than the temple. He's better than the high priest. He's better than, than all things. That's what the book tells us. But today, sometimes, some of us just need to understand he's better than you think he is. Whatever it is you think of Jesus, he's better than that. Consider him. Fix your heart upon him. And know today that the house over which Jesus is Lord, the people of God over whom Jesus is Lord, the house in which Moses worked as a servant, that house is open to you today. But to enter into the household of God, you must be supernaturally born again. You must be born into it by the Spirit of God. Only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ does God's Spirit apply the work of Jesus to your heart, transform you, indwell you, infill you, and give you the assurance of the hope of salvation in Christ. To be part of the people of God, 
adopted into the family of God, God must change your heart. And he calls us to trust in him by grace through faith. Give him your heart and life. Entrust yourself to him. You could say it that way. Call upon him for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do that today. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus is better even than we think he is. Help us to consider Jesus, to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to focus ourselves upon Jesus even as we are passing by the trials and the sufferings and the things of this world. Help us to keep the Lord as our banner ever before us and rally to that banner. God, thank you for the gospel. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray, God, that you would change hearts today, that, that you would draw people to you, that they would call out upon you and be saved. Pray that they would trust that you died. Jesus, you died for them for, to pay for their sin. You rose from the grave to bring justification before the Father, and you're worthy of it all. God, we do thank you. We love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll stand right down here as I always do. If you want to come, I'd love to pray with you. Will you stand with me?